Welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. This is the evening service of Sunday the 24th of May 2015, entitled A Crisis in the Church, Part 2, and the Bible reading is taken from 1 John chapter 3, verses 16 to 24. Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. I invite you to stand to honour the reading. God's holy word, 1 John chapter 3, beginning in verse 16. Hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And hereby we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. For if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then have we confidence toward God. Whatsoever we ask, we receive of him. Because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. This is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of of his son Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. He that keepeth his commandments dwelleth in him, and he in him. And hereby we know that he abideth in us by the Spirit which he hath given us. Father, we thank you again this evening that we have the glorious privilege to have your word before us. It's been preserved for us for your spirit that lives within us. Now, Lord, we come totally dependent upon you Lord, that in these next minutes that we look into your word, Lord, that you would take and speak to our hearts as only you can. We need not the words of man this evening. Lord, we need your word to be made alive into our hearts. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. So, of course, we looked at this passage this morning. We said as we looked there that the Bible is very, 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 very specific that we see and understand and know we perceive the love of God because that he laid down his life for us. We looked at this, verses John three sixteen. We looked at this fact that if Jesus loves us in such a way, if God loves us in such a way, how dare we see others that are in need and close up our bowels in compassion, not care, not do anything about it, and yet say that the love of God dwells in us. Can't be. He goes on to tell us here that we need more than just words. We need to see our love being played out in the lives that we live, in the actions that we have. It comes down to a heart condition. And, of course, this is where that we are looking and seeing the tremendous illustration of that truth in the book of Revelation. And as we began to look there this morning, we saw that the real crisis of the church begins... There in the very first church in Ephesus where we saw that there was a real crisis in the church because they had left their first love. We said that after the church had left its first love, we saw secondly there in the church of Smyrna that the church ended up with a lot of counterfeits within counterfeits within that were plotting with the pagans without 
and bringing persecution upon God's people. From that we left and went to the church at Pergamos. And we saw there that the church had then begun to compromise with the world. Remember, it had lost his first love. And so it was looking other places for his love. They wouldn't have been able to love the world and the things of the world as they did had Jesus Christ still been the number one love in their lives, but they had lost that. And so, again, we find the church ending up in idolatry and fornication. We said, of course, that you cannot possibly have physical fornication without spiritual fornication. Idolatry. They began to love anything more than God, placing that above God. So we find that the answer in all of this is God is saying, repent, repent. This is what he wants us to do. We don't have to keep going in that direction, but yet as we look in history, the church did continue to go in that direction, and churches still continue to go in that direction. But it all began with the heart matter of losing, of leaving, more correctly said, their first love. So as we look further this evening, we find that after they had left their first love and this counterfeits had become into the church and, and then the compromise with the world had begun there that we see that that leads a step further in the church at Thyatira. We also have corruption in the church. Now again, the Lord begins here at, at, at Thyatira by, by commending them for some good things. He begins at verse 18, and to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, These things saith the Son of God, who hath his eyes likened to a flame of fire, and his feet are like fine brass. I know thy works. We see those words over and over. I know exactly what you're doing. I know thy works and charity and service and faith and thy patience and thy works, and the last to be more than the first. He said, I, I see all of these good things that are in you there. But we find as we go into verse 20, that even with those good things still going on, he says, notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee. Why? Because thou sufferest that woman Jezebel which calleth herself a prophetess, to teach and to seduce my servants to commit fornication and to eat things sacrificed to idols. Again, the church is being seduced into idolatry and fornication. You see, all this always ties back to our relationship, to our heart relationship, to the relationship of love. If Jesus Christ is first in our life, if he is that first love, then we won't commit adultery. <laughs> It's when something else begins to take his place that that adultery is committed. And if we truly love him like that, we certainly will not be committing fornication with someone else. We see here that by this time, this seduction is coming by way of a woman. And he uses this Jezebel. I'm sure as the Jezebel of old in the Old Testament, this Jezebel, however, is claiming to be a spiritual teacher, a prophetess within the church, when in fact teaching and seducing them into 
sexual immorality and, and, and idolatry, well, we have to ask ourselves, first of all, what was it that the Bible had given us when Jesus laid it out that the woman is not to teach nor usurp authority over the man? And yet here in this church, there is this woman that's claiming to be a prophet that is teaching them, but she's teaching them false things. She is literally leading them down the wrong paths. Now, the Bible goes on to explain to us he says in verse 21, and I gave her space to repent of her fornication, and she repented not. Behold, I will cast her into a bed, and then that commit adultery with her into great tribulation, except they repent of their deeds, and I will kill her children with death, and all the churches shall know that I am he which searcheth the reins and hearts, and I will give unto every one of you according to your works. This woman that is doing the seducing faces sure judgment because of her unrepentant ways. But so do also those who have been influenced by her. The heart where it began, that's where it began and that's where we are again. God knows precisely and intimately everything about your heart, my heart, everyone's heart. We just have to get honest with ourselves and get honest with him because he already knows. The life that we live, the works of that life on which we will one day be judged are directly motivated by what's in the heart. See, the old saying says, you might kid yourself, but you'll never kid God. You might pull the wool over your own eyes. You might blind yourself to it, but never God. You know, here. So we find this church has moved from, it was first of all, when they lost their first love, we find the first thing was that there began to be counterfeit Christians in the church, those that were claiming to be that weren't. And then that went to the church compromising with the world and marrying into the world and making those compromises with the world down to downright corruption within the church with all of these false teachings going forth. But thank God, in the midst of that, what does he say in verse 24? But unto you I say, and unto the rest in Thyatira, as many as have not this doctrine and which have not known the depths of Satan as they speak, I will put upon you none other burden. Thank God. There's still some in the church that have not given themselves over to these teachings that came, he says here, from the very depths of Satan. Yes, it's somebody within the church. We've already seen how that God uses those. He used a man that, that had the respect of them, had been chosen as a deacon. He, he used that to lead many of them astray. His influence here is this seduction of this woman within the church. We find that he says that it's literally the very depths of Satan. The church had become so corrupt that there were those teaching that they could somehow participate in, in all these sins that would help them to feel better within their body and still be okay spiritually. You know, they had taken this matter of grace and they had tried to turn it into a, a license to sin that the liberties that they had with the Lord were all being abused. 
They were actually being taught <laughs> that they could live these ungodly, vile lives and still be okay. You see, it was straight from the very depths of Satan himself. What does he say to them? Verse 25, but that which ye have already hold fast till I come. And he that overcometh and keepeth my works unto the end, to him will I give power over the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. As the vessels of a potter shall they be broken to shivers, even as I received of my father. And I will give him the morning star. That's Jesus Christ himself. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. <laughs> there. He's talking about the reward for those faithful ones amongst all this corruption. He's pointing to the very millennial reign of Christ when he comes to reign upon this earth. Those overcomers will be part of that kingdom and Jesus Christ himself is the one that will sit upon the throne. What we see, and it's what we need to realize because see, nobody ever sees it coming. This was happening over a period of time. The first thing, it began with the heart problem where Jesus Christ was in their hearts. That then led to the counterfeits and it led to the compromising and it led to the corruption. But I want you to notice where it goes from there in the church at Sardis. We end up with a church that is just <laughs> corpses in the church. <laughs> a bunch of dead bodies, a dead church. Notice what he says beginning in chapter 3. He begins, he says, And unto the angel of the church in Sardis write, These things saith he that hath the seven spirits of God and the seven stars, I know thy works, that thou hast a name that thou livest and art dead. You're saying that you're alive. You're said to be alive, but in fact, you're dead. Here the church now has come to the point to where it actually still thinks that it's alive, but in fact, he says, you're dead. You're just a bunch of corpses. Now, when something is dead, you can say it's alive all you want to, but that doesn't make it alive. They were saying they were alive, but they were dead. The church was undoubtedly by this time, it gone from that point of where it had started with some counterfeits and some compromise and downright corruption, but now there seems to be more dead people, more lost people in the church than saved people. They're being made up of dead bodies, a church full of dead corpses. <laughs> How would you like to come into church? you be the only person alive. <laughs> the, the seats, the pews, whatever that it might be. <laughs> Just filled with a bunch of dead corpses. You think you feel at home? But yet that's where the church is here. What does he say? He says in verse 2, Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. There was still something in this birth, even though that it was a dead church full of dead corpses, there was still something there. There was still that tiny remnant. But he says, Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. For I have not found thy works perfect before God. <laughs> you better wake up and do something. Look around you. Look at the corpses. Look at the dead. They don't even realize that they're dead. They think that they're alive. We find that he said you need to wake up and do something. You need to remember 
those great truths that brought life in the first place. You need to hold on to those things. You need to repent and turn back to them. If you don't repent, if you don't get things right, you'll face the judgment. You won't know when, but it's certain. He says in verse 3, Remember therefore how thou hast received and heard and hold fast and repent. If therefore thou shalt not watch, I will come on thee as a thief, and thou shalt not know what hour I will come upon thee. Thank God. Even then, verse 4 says, Thou hast a few names, even in Sardis. There are a few, even in this church full of dead corpses, in this dead church, Thou hast a few names even in Sardis which have not defiled their garments. And they shall walk with me in white for they are worthy. Yep. <laughs> it's a church full of corpses but there's still a remnant even in that dead church. For that remnant, <laughs> for the overcomer, for the true believer, he said, I want you to know there is no danger even though you're there Amongst all this death, there is no danger of death for you. There's no danger of your name coming out of the book of life. He that overcometh, he says in verse 5, the same shall be clothed in white raiment, and I will not blot out his name out of the book of life. But I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Corpses, corpses in the church, a church full of just dead corpses. I guess that much is made today of these, and I, you know, I don't, I don't even, I don't even like to see the adverts for them. These zombie movies, The Walking Dead, you know, that that walk around and they they're dead, but they think that they're alive, and they walk around like they're alive, and that's you know, kind of the pic. You know, you got a church full of people that think that they're alive. There's a name that they're alive, but they're just a bunch of dead corpses. There's a few people alive. Boy, you need to remember. You need to hold on. Don't worry. Even amongst all this death, your name's in the book of life. Your name can never be removed from that. You see, when that first love is left behind, I said this morning, there is a crisis like no other in the church. It will result in the church being filled with these counterfeits, these that claim to be but they're not, with these compromises with the world. And the world and the church becomes more and more alike. And then the corruption will come in and the false teachings even with, from within the church that will inevitably lead to a church full of dead corpses. There's no way that that corrupt teaching is going to bring people to Christ. So we find that... <laughs> thing is, God gives them a choice every time. You and I have a choice. You see, this is not what has to be. This is what can be. What will surely happen if Jesus Christ loses his rightful place in our church, which means in our heart, because the church is not this building that we're meeting in. It is the people that make up this body 
This doesn't have to describe you personally. It doesn't have to describe your personal life. And it certainly doesn't have to describe the life of this church. Today, you and I have a choice. We have the choice to give Jesus Christ the rightful place in our lives, to go back to our, our first love. And if we've left that somewhere to repent and to start acting more like this next church that we read about here, seize the opportunity that's before us. Because the next church we read about is the church at Philadelphia. He says, To the angel of the church in Philadelphia, write these things, saith he that is holy, he that is true, he that hath the key of David, he that openeth and no man shutteth, and shutteth and no man openeth. He says, I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it. For thou hast a little strength, and hast kept my word, and hast not denied my name. You see, this is a church that was committed. They were the faithful church to the Lord. They had kept his word. They had proclaimed his name. As a result, God had set before them an open door that no man can shut. What we need to grasp and realize that amongst all of this compromise and this corruption and this deadness and everything else, you can still be faithful to God. You can still be a faithful church. You don't have to be like that. To find that. He says, I'll set before you an open door that no man can shut. What door is he going to set before us? Well, <laughs> there's some debate amongst theologians as to what that door is, but primarily I think that there's two, and I believe that they're both valid. One's the door to the kingdom. <laughs> you see, the other's the door of service. When we look at Scripture, how could one of those doors be open without the other? The faithful child of God. He just got through promising it before. After remaining faithful through all the trials and all the, the battles in this life, after giving Jesus the place that he ought to have in his life, he will be welcomed into the kingdom and there is no man that can close that door. It's a door that the Lord himself has opened before you. But it's also through our faithfulness to his word, to his name, that even with our little strength here, that can be used to accomplish great things for his glory, great things for his kingdom. All those counterfeits in the church and all those false religions around us that in fact are Satan's deception. He tells us here that they're going to all come to know who Jesus is and who we are, the faithful followers. What's he say in verse 9? Behold, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan, which say they are Jews, those counterfeits, and are not, but do lie. Behold, I will make them to come and worship before thy feet and to know that I have loved thee. <laughs> oh, yes, we saw in the ones before. <laughs> we live in a world that's full of all the falseness. But he's saying here there's going to come a day well, they don't know exactly who the Lord is and who we are. He says in verse 10, Because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I also will keep thee 
from the hour of temptation which shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. You see, praise God. Those that are faithful, those overcomers, the true faithful remnant is going to be kept from that period of tribulation that this world is going to face. We believe in a pre-tribulational rapture of the church out of here. And that fits right into what Jesus is promising here. Christ is coming soon. He's saying you need to recognize the seriousness of the situation and you need to be ready for him. Don't let the influence of others and their complacency in your own life, don't, don't let it rob you of the crown that the Lord wants to give you for your faithfulness. He says, Behold, I come quickly. Hold that fast which thou hast, that no man take thy crown. Him that overcometh will I make a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go no more out, and I will write upon him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem, which cometh down out of heaven from my God, and I will write upon him my new name. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. The promise, the hope of the Christian is sure. The Lord Jesus is coming soon. And he reiterates that to us here. There's one more church that we find that is the last straw for those that, that lose their first love, that leave their first love. Sadly, too many have made the wrong choice. Too many are living a life of complacency like we see in this church in Laodicea. And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou wert cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Not a cold out-and-out -out denial of the Christian faith. Not a hot, fervent zeal for their faith. Something lukewarm. Something tepid. Something that makes God sick to his stomach. So sick, he says here, that he'll spew you out, that he will literally, the word there is to vomit you out. That's what the spewing out means that it makes him sick to his stomach, that it will come spewing out. You see, he says, Because thou sayest, I am rich, and increased with goods, and have need of nothing, and knowest not, that thou art wretched, and miserable, and poor, and blind, and naked. They honestly had become so deceived that they didn't even recognize their own condition. They had deceived themselves. They were self-deceived hypocrites that had convinced themselves that they were actually okay. They believed that. They thought that they were. It's a very sad state. But many of the churches today, and certainly of the church in general as a whole. Jesus said, I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment that thou mayest be clothed, 
and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear and anoint thine eyes with eye salve that thou may seest. You see, God is still offering them something that is real. Real salvation, a real relationship with him. They don't have to remain in this naked, blind, deceived condition that they're in. They can be genuinely saved and have a genuine relationship with him. God reminds them of his love. But his love requires rebuking and chastening. His great desire out of his great love is for repentance. He says in verse 19, As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. You know that I love you. You know that if, you, if, if you're going to do this, you're going to have to face the judgment. Just repent. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Make things right. You find that that's what God's grace is all about. And, of course, then he finishes off this letter in verses 20 to 22. He says, Behold, Jesus said, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to him and will sup with him and he with me. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am set down with my father in his throne. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Christ stands at the door and knocks. Christ is standing at the door knocking today. Now maybe he's knocking at the door of this church today. Maybe he wants to come in and do some great things in our midst. Things that are beyond our comprehension. Things that are beyond our imagination. Maybe if you hear the voice and open the door, maybe he'll come in and do those things that are totally beyond us in our lives and in the life of our church and in the cause of missions around the world to reach the lost with the gospel. Maybe he will open those doors of opportunity for us that he promised the Philadelphian church that no man can close. Jesus said, I stand at the door and knock. You see, if we're going to get anything, and we said this morning that really, there is absolutely, it's pointless for me as your pastor, no matter how truth or how strong those truths may be. We talk about going and we talk about giving and we talk about all these other things that we're going to be talking about when it comes to missions. But unless the heart situation is right, none of it's going to matter. It's not going to make any difference. This is reality. This is the churches. It was the church then. It's the churches now. It's the way that the churches have progressed. And we ought to know and learn from them. We find that it all comes down to the heart condition. Maybe, maybe it's your heart's door that he's knocking at. <laughs> maybe he's wanting to remind you just how much that he loves you. Maybe he's wanting you to open that door of your heart today, he says he'll come in and he'll sup with you. <laughs> we find that so many times he stands and he knocks and he wants to come in, but the door's just not open for him. 
There is a crisis in the church today. I am blessed to look back there at that mission board and to see the missionaries that God allows us to have a part. I am proud in the sense that God does beyond anything that we could even begin to do ourselves. But the thing is, we haven't even begun to see what God can do and will do. And he says here that it's this whole heart condition that has to do with our faith, with our confidence in him. If our heart's not right, our faith is never going to be where it needs to be for us to truly practice faith promise giving. The church is in crisis. And the crisis in the church begins with the crisis within Christians' hearts. Christians that have left their first love, where Jesus just does not have the supreme place. That's where it's got to begin. Everything else that we see here is a result of either him having or not having his rightful place in our hearts. We can see from all of these examples where it can lead to we can see that as we look there, yes, when Jesus loses that rightful place in our hearts, it's going to have an effect. And that effect is going to affect all of us. It means that there are going to be counterfeits. It means there's going to be compromise. It means there's going to be corruption. It means there's going to be a bunch of corpses, a bunch of dead people trying to do God's work means there's going to be these lukewarm churches like Laodicea where it's complacency in the church. Folks, we find that the work of God is a great thing. Everything hinges on love. Everything hinges on our love for Christ. Don't just say it, mean it. If he isn't the love of all loves in your life, then you're the only one that can do something about it. It's about action. It's about doing something. That's how you show people. How did he say that we perceive his love for us? Because he was willing to go to the cross and die for us to show us that love. Unless we love in the same way. He said, don't go seeing the needs of others. Don't go seeing, if you'll allow me to paraphrase, the needs of all these and only these countries that we already support missionaries and others just close up your bowels with compassion against them. Don't, when you see those needs, and you don't care, and you don't want to do anything about it, don't say it's the love of God in you, <laughs> because that just can't be. We will never get the other things right. We'll never be willing to go. We'll never be willing to give to the cause of missions as we should We'll never be able to get our focus upon those things if our hearts aren't where they need to be. I look around, and one of the things that saddens me is that even here tonight we say, well, where's the rest of the people? Well, don't start feeling all proud and all spiritual because you're here and they're not, but I'm saying, no, that's the day where we are. That's because that the work of Christ, there are so many, so many other things that supersede <laughs> 
his place in our lives. My encouragement to you is yes. Yes, we'll be looking more at the going and the giving. And I'll be trying to break down as best I can the principles in God's word for you to help you if you want to, to be able to do something about it. But I believe with all my heart that God wanted us today to look and realize and understand and not kid ourselves that none of that's going to go anywhere with us unless our hearts are right first. Unless we're really, really, Jesus has the place in our hearts that he ought to have. That changes everything. But it'll certainly change everything. The crisis in the church today is that Jesus Christ has lost the place that he ought to have. Father, we thank you so much. Lord, as we have looked at these passages this morning and this evening, and we look at the reality of what took place in these churches, and it all began when they left their first love, when Jesus Christ lost his rightful place in so many of the hearts. Lord, I pray, help us. Help us this evening to give Christ his rightful place. Help us to realize and recognize he has shown his great love for us. Now help us, Lord, to love him in the way that we ought to. Help us not to put anything. We see time and time and time and time again in these churches that, Lord, in all of these different situations, the thing that kept coming into place was this idolatry and this fornication, our direct relationship with Jesus Christ, getting us to put something else above him in his rightful place, getting us to love something else or someone else more than we love him. Well, that's the great trick of Satan. Help us, Lord. We know we're such an imperfect people. We know that we haven't even begun to grasp what you can really do in our midst. But I pray this evening that you'll help us to begin by getting this matter right. Help us, Lord, to get the heart condition right. Help us to be ready for what you want to do through us because you do have the rightful place in our hearts. We will truly give you all the praise and thanks for it. In Jesus Christ's precious and holy name we pray. Amen. Amen.